Thank you, Pastor, very much. I have enjoyed very much being with you today. That uh, visit we had before was brief when we came through that one evening, and we have certainly enjoyed the uh, couples retreats, which made me realize how much you have need of being ministered to uh, after being at those couples retreats. And so I'm very surprised to see them today sober and sane. And think I didn't mean sober like, never mind. Okay, but anyway, uh, we have enjoyed the couples retreats very much. But obviously today's been a highlight for us too. It's been really good to get to be with you and share some time with you. Um, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to begin with to the book of Second Timothy? And as you go to Second Timothy, I'd like you to go to chapter two, and uh, I'm going to actually uh, deal with a subject that centers a bit around the military tonight, because as you know, Veterans Day is around the corner, and uh, also I mentioned to you that in Sunday school, um, this is the week of my anniversary for having been booby trapped in Vietnam. And uh, that booby trap in Vietnam was something that totally turned my life around. Um, prior, to, try, prior to being booby trapped in Vietnam, I believed God was in your head, literally. I just believed you blamed your good on God and the bad on the devil and just lived your life. And that when you died, you simply turned to dust. I mean, anybody could see that. But when I was put in a situation where I was facing dying... I couldn't, I couldn't come to the conclusion that Marty Macedo was going to cease existing. I just couldn't do it. It was October 26, 1970. And uh, at the time, I was being booby-trapped in Vietnam, and I call it being tenderized by the Lord. My wife was being witnessed to by a patient. My wife was an x-ray technician, and this patient fell in love with my wife and just started uh, ministering to her gently. My wife met their family, saw a godly family, an example of a godly family. We desired that for ourselves, so when I came back from uh, being operated on, sent to Japan, and then sent back home, we decided to uh, visit this family's church, thinking that may have something to do with them being the way they are. And it was. They were saved. They were living according to the principles of God's word. And we desired that. But we recognized that the first step had to be salvation. My wife was saved. As I mentioned this morning, about six weeks later, I was saved. And interestingly enough, on October 26, 1971, one year to the date, we were in the hospital in Lake County. And my wife gave birth to our oldest daughter. So it's kind of a blessing on top of a uh, just a... Wonderful thing, the way the Lord worked things out for us. Within a year, we got a burden to serve the Lord and sold everything out and went to Bible school and been in ministry ever since. So we're grateful for that. But I think about the military background. It was a short time. I, was, uh, I only spent uh, 19 months out of my 24 months because of being sent home early. But it was such an impressionable time in my life. And it really uh, helps me understand scriptures that talk about us being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the theme we want to follow tonight. And if you want to put a title to the message, the title would be this. The meaning of the term lifer. The meaning of the term lifer. And you spell lifer, L-I-F-E-R. We'll explain that to you a little bit more in just a minute. But to begin, I want us to look at this New Testament passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you, if I may, verses 3 and 4. It says this. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Shall we pray? 
Our Father in heaven, as we look at this principle of being a soldier for Jesus Christ tonight, we pray that you would give us understanding that would strengthen us in our service today. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing here to Timothy, and it's interesting this uh, parallel or illustration that he makes about being a good soldier. And when you think about that, you'll see some things right in our passage, although we're not going to deal a lot with our passage tonight. You'll see the idea of, as a good soldier, number one, verse four, you do not entangle yourself with the affairs of this world. Uh, When I was over in Vietnam, when men were over in World War II, when men are in Afghanistan, Iraq, and whatever, the worst thing you can do is entangle yourselves in the things of this world because you can't do anything about it. You're away from your family. You're away from your country. You're there focused on being able to, uh, to, to engage the enemy and to have victory over the enemy and to come back home safely. And if you allow yourself to be distracted by the things of the world or things back home, you can lose your focus. And as a result, you could even lose what? Your life. So a soldier needs to be focused to be sure. As a, uh, and that's what our verse is telling us, verse 4. Also, you'll note this. It says that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. A good soldier of Jesus Christ is one that's focused on serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but also one that is focused on the fact that his desire is to please him who chose him to do that function as a soldier. Thinking about your Christian life tonight. Uh, assuming tonight that you're all saved and you've accepted Christ as your Savior. If you've not, that's the first step you need to make. But if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have that heart's desire, which I believe you do, to please the Lord, here's an answer right here how to do it. And that is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. To be able to be focused on your Christian life and serving Him, and that will please Him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. Now, I could teach about this all night. We could look at the words up and we can give a nice outline to this passage and things of that nature. But I don't think that it would help us fully understand it without looking in the scripture at a real example of a good soldier. And to do that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And I would ask you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Old Testament. And in this passage of Scripture, you're probably familiar with it because of the sin of David and Bathsheba. You remember there in chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings went forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, you remember his tarrying at Jerusalem. He was out on the wall. He looked over, saw a beautiful woman, had that woman come into his palace. As a result, he had relations with her. And we remember that he lay with her in verse 4. And verse 5 tells us, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, this woman was Bathsheba, but she was the wife of Uriah. And Uriah was a good soldier who was actually serving out there the king in the battle. The king was back home. He should have been in the battle, but he was back home. And Uriah was the one out there faithfully serving. Now, the reason I'm using Uriah tonight is because of this idea or concept of the term lifer. Can I share that with you? I want you to see a contrast with me tonight when you think of that term. If you look up the term lifer... 
you find out that it is a slang term. And it's primarily a slang term in regard to a person sentenced to imprisonment for life. A person, the judge uh, sentenced them to life in prison, and then you would refer to that person and say, they are in prison and they are a lifer. They are not going to be paroled. They are not going to be released. They're spending the rest of their life in prison. But there's another expression for the term lifer that we're looking at tonight, and it's regarding the military. Some of you may be already familiar with this. But a person who chooses to make the military their career, a person who is not drafted, I was drafted, that was two years, a person who is not uh, just enlisted, some men enlist for four years or even six years, but a person who says, I'm going to make a career out of the military. I'm going to spend at least 20 years, maybe even up to 30 years in serving in the military. And I'm going to retire from the military. And we who were in the army would call that person a lifer. They were a career soldier. Now think about the contrast here. When I say tonight, what is the meaning of the term lifer? We're looking at the fact of either a life imprisonment, or we're looking at the uh, comparison of a life committed to serving. And sadly, and I, I hope it's not true in this case tonight of the people I'm speaking to, Pastor, but sadly, many people look at their Christian life in the first definition, that they become a Christian and they are lifer, and therefore they have to suffer with the restrictions of living as a Christian for the rest of their life. I remember hearing an evangelist, he was speaking at a graduation, and one of the illustrations he used was this. He said, I speak in a lot of graduations, and he said, I just had a very heartbreaking example of uh, what young people many times face in a Christian school. And he said, uh, we had graduates, and I spoke at this uh, graduation for the graduates, and at the end of the service, everybody walked down the center aisle, pastor and I were first, others followed, the graduates followed to make a reception line, and he said there was one young girl, 18 years old, attractive young girl, and she had her Bible, like everybody else had their Bible, and he said, pastor, he said, when they hit the foyer, when that girl hit the foyer, she took her Bible and threw it in the trash can and said, great, I'm done with this now. Now you say, boy, that's pretty dramatic and shame on that girl. That's true. But many times people as Christians look at their life like that girl looked at her life, although she displayed how she looked at it, and said, wow, I'm a Christian, and now I've got to go to church, and now I've got to tithe, and now I've got to pray, now I've got to read my Bible, now I've got to do this, now I've got to do that. And they look at their life as a lifer, as a sentence, rather than looking at their life as a lifer of I have chosen to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, all the days of my life. I've made a choice to do that. I hope tonight that you have made a choice to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. That you are a lifer because you are committed to Him, not a lifer because when you got saved, you became sentenced to a lifetime of being a Christian. Now with that in mind, I'd like to expand this a little bit tonight. And as I expand this, I would like to use an acrostic. You're familiar with an acrostic, aren't you? You take a word, and for each letter of that word, you give a word, a definition to it. And the word I'd like to look at, of course, is 
lifer. You've already heard that enough tonight, haven't you? And when you think about a lifer and thinking about it not as an imprisonment, but as a soldier and a good soldier serving God, let's put some words along with it. And we're going to do that by examining Uriah, who I believe was a lifer. And by the way, if you know the story, he certainly was, for he gave his life for the, for the king and the country. And he was a lifer. And what kind of characteristics do we see in his life that we should be emulating or duplicating in our life as a Christian today? So, the first word we see in regard to a lifer is the word loyalty. And look at our passage of Scripture now as we pick it up after Bathsheba tells David that she conceived, verse 5, and I am with child. Now we read verse 6. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war was prospered. Or prospered. And David said unto Uriah, verse 8, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. And, uh, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. Now let me just stop here for a moment, not being too graphic, but explaining what took place here. Once David and Bathsheba, and she conceived from David in their adultery, David thought, wait, if I bring Uriah in from the field... And having spent the night at his house, he and his wife will obviously enjoy the pleasures of marriage, and then the child will look like his, and I'll be scot-free. So that's what he does. He brings him in from the field, tells him to go to his house, but Uriah does not go to his house. Instead, he sleeps on the doorstep. Why? Verse 10. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down to thine house? And Uriah said, verse 11, unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go unto my house, and to eat and to drink, and lie with my wife? See, that's what David had planned. And he said, As thou livest and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. If my men can't be with their wives tonight, I'm not going to be with my wife tonight. Wow. What happens from there? Verse 12. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him what? Drunk. If Uriah won't go and lie with his wife by free will, then I'll get him drunk and he'll go in as a drunk and lie with his wife. I just got to get him to do it so we can say the child is his and not mine. But notice what happens here. He made him drunk and at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So even drunk he would not go to his house. He recognized my men can't do it. I'm not going to do it. So David comes up with another plan. And it came to pass, verse 14, in the morning, that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire from him, that he may be smitten and die. 
And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell among uh, some of the, excuse me, fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So there's our story about Uriah the Hittite. There's more that uh, between Joab and David and their conversations that follow. But that's pretty much the, the crux of the story in regard to this man that's a good soldier and this man who is being referred to tonight as a lifer. And the first thing we see is this. Did you notice Uriah's loyalty? His loyalty and his service. When you take a look at verse 1, it was a time when kings went out to battle, and you'll notice that Uriah was one of the men under Joab that went out to battle even when his king did not. He knew what his job was as a soldier, and that was to fight the enemy. And he was loyal in going out and fighting the enemy. I'm going to tell you something, you know, you look and you say, oh, there's Pastor Macedo, and he's an airborne ranger, and got booby-trapped in Vietnam, and came to Christ, and well, what a good soldier he was. Folks, I did not start out as a good soldier. In fact, if you take a look at my uh, thumbs, you'll notice this thumb is pretty decent in size, and you'll notice this thumb is much larger. And the reason for that is, when I was a boy, I was on the garage roof, and my brothers uh, uh, chided me and told me I didn't have the courage to jump off. I showed them wrong. I did, and I broke my thumb, and I had a bone chip and had to be operated on. So when I got drafted, I didn't want to be in the Army. I was not a lifer. I was not even wanting to be a draftee. And so in basic training, I actually took this thumb and kept smashing it with something and began the bed rail, the metal bed rail and whatever, smashing it. And I got to the point where I had it so swollen and hurt so bad that I couldn't lift the weapon. I, I would get my rifle and I'd go to lift it and I'd go, oh, oh Sarge, it's my hand. I, I just got, I've got a bad thumb. I need to be discharged. Well, one day a sergeant pulled me into a room and he had a drill instructor's hat on. He had the bluest eyes I've ever seen, and he was spitting mad. <laughs> Believe me, spitting mad. And he put me up against the wall, stuck the brim in my head, and said, I know what you're doing, and you better knock it off, because we're not going to let you out of this army. And then I thought, well, that didn't work. And so as a result then, I took all the training I could. I trained for a whole year. I ended up a staff sergeant within a year. I just took all the training I could and then ended up then at that point realizing that as a soldier, I had a job to do. And when I went to Vietnam, I went and did that job. You know, that, that's what we're seeing here in the life of Uriah. Uriah was someone who was not a draft dodger. Uh, Uriah was not someone who was drafted reluctantly and just thought he would do the least amount possible. But Uriah was one that said, I am a soldier. I am serving my country. I am serving my king. And I am going to go out into battle and do my job. That's loyalty. And I'm so thankful for many in the military today that show that kind of loyalty. I'm thankful for those soldiers who say, I am going to be a good soldier and serve my country and protect our country. But you'll notice this. You say, boy, you're making a big deal out of that, aren't you? And yes, I am from verse 1. But I want to also tie in with this idea of loyalty, verse 11. Look at verse 11, which we read earlier. And Uriah said unto David, 
The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go in mine, into my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? Listen to this loyalty statement. As thou livest and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. I am loyal. I am a soldier first. I'm not going to be entangled with the things of this world, as we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I am to serve, and I'm going to serve, and he loyally went out and did it. Now, let me ask you a question here this evening, and that is, when it comes to being a good soldier to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't raise your hand, don't look at me funny with your eyes and give yourself away, but can I ask you a question? Are you a lifer tonight? And are you a lifer who is loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word? Are you loyal to that? What would it take you to remove you from that? What does it take you to stop reading your Bible and to stop praying and to stop going to church and to stop giving and to stop witnessing? What does it take? If you have the characteristic of a lifer, and if you are loyal to your master and the one you're serving, the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? Nothing will stop you from that. You will engage in the battle and you will not be distracted into doing your part in the battle, just like Uriah did. But let's take a look at the second letter. If you're spelling out the word lifer, you not only see the L for loyalty and service, but you also see the I. And what does I stand for? I believe I stands for integrity and sincerity. Integrity and sincerity. Take a look at these two verses with me, if you would. The idea of integrity is this. I choose to give my word and be trustworthy. I choose to give my word and be trustworthy. Where do we see the integrity of Uriah? Well, look at verse 14. This is in 2 Samuel 11, and we read these words. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. Now you say, Pastor, how does that show integrity or sincerity? Well, think about that for a moment. Uriah is actually given a letter that is sealed. And he is given the responsibility to carry that letter to the king, to Joab. I'm sorry, to Joab. And think about that for a moment. If, if I were given a letter by Pastor, and, and he was giving it to me by my hand, my, my temptation would be, you're all laughing, you know what it is too. My temptation would be to maybe hold it up to the light. Or maybe the sunlight. Say, what is that What is that in there? What's that saying? Maybe you're writing it to Greg, and I'm really kind of curious, you know, and saying, man, how'd you make friendship with this guy? I never want to have him back in the church again. I, I just want to know for sure, you know. So I'm trying to look at this. In fact, in fact, I can give you an example. Is my wife did that. My wife did that. And my wife was working as an x-ray technician, and uh, she worked with some doctors. And when I was in Vietnam, there was a single doctor who was telling my wife that no man could be faithful to his wife for a year. And he said, your husband's obviously being unfaithful in Vietnam, so, you know, you might as well be unfaithful too. That was what he was saying. And I could tell in the letters that Pam was troubled. She finally told me what the problem was. So I got out in Vietnam some airborne ranger stationery, and I wrote the doctor's name, and I wrote the address of the hospital, and inside I wrote a letter. 
And the letter I wrote, I was not saved, we made it very clear that if he even so much as walked down the hall with my wife again, the first stop I made when I got back to the United States of America was going to be to his office. I really laid it out strong. I did tell him, you don't have any concept of what love is. I love my wife. It's none of your business and that. But I know what you're trying to do. And if I even hear you walk down the hall with her, I will make a stop to you first thing. So I send it, and it goes to the hospital. I didn't realize that my wife gets the mail. And so when she got the mail, she saw my printing. She saw, you know, Vietnam. No postage. You didn't have to pay postage in Vietnam. She knew it was from me. And so guess what she did? She lacked integrity. She steamed it open with one of her co-workers. <laughs> and she steamed open the letter to the doctor and she read it. And after she read it, she thought, oops, I better give this to him. So she sealed it back up and gave it to him. Okay? True story. I came home from Vietnam. Pam says, oh, I want you to meet the ladies I work with. We went. His office was on the second floor of the hospital medical clinic. And we went up to the second floor. And, and I still see it. There was, a, there was a door that opened. And this guy came out. Short, ugly, runny guy. Anyway, anyway. But this guy came out. And, and as he looked down the hall, Pam and I were standing there walking down the hall. And he went back in the office. And we heard the door close and the lock. <laughs> and Pam looked and she goes, that's the doctor you wrote to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, what are we doing? What are we talking about here tonight? We're talking about integrity. Uriah carried his death notice to Joab. He had integrity. He had integrity. He knew he had a job to do, carry this to the captain. And he carried it to the captain without trying to look through the light to see it would say, without trying to steam it open, without trying to do anything. He had a job to do, and he did it. And he, had, he kept his word. And, and David said, would you deliver this to Joab? And he said, yes, I will. And he did it. Now think about that. When we look at the word loyalty... It's the idea of, I choose to give my life for my country or my king. For a Christian, we choose to give our life to our Lord. When you take a look at integrity, I choose to give my word and be trustworthy. And Uriah did that very thing in verse 14. The letter was sent by Uriah's hand. And Uriah would not retreat, verse 15, when he was actually put in the place of the hottest battle and he ended up dying. It was proposed in verse 15 in that letter, and as you saw in verse 16 and 17, that's exactly what happened. Isn't that wonderful? And folks, I'll tell you something. We as Christians, as lifers, need to have integrity. We need to have integrity. We need to be as good as our word. Pastor, I'll do that. Pastor, I'll be there. Uh, my wife, I'll take care of that. My children, I'm going to help you with that. Whatever the case might be, think before you speak. And when you speak, make sure you have the integrity to carry out what you said you're going to do. But there's a third word, letter in this word now. L, loyalty. I, integrity. And F is fearlessness. F is fearlessness. What does this mean? I choose to give my life in facing the enemy, not fleeing from the enemy. I choose to give my life in facing the enemy and will not flee from the enemy. Where do we see this? Well, look, if you would, at verse 15. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, 
and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass, verse 16, when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. He knew Uriah would go to the hottest place in the battle with other valiant men who would be in the hottest place of the value, knowing that their likelihood of dying was greater than the likelihood of others dying who weren't in that hottest place of the battle. He knew that Uriah was going to be, Uriah knew he was going to be facing some very valiant enemy that were well-skilled, well-trained, well-experienced, but without question, he went and fulfilled that position that he was asked to fulfill. He showed a real what? He showed a real fearlessness. The idea of a solidness. The idea of, I'm not going to run from the enemy. I'm not going to flee from them. But I'm going to go ahead and face them and cause the Lord to help me through that. Now, let's think about that for a moment when we think about our life as a Christian and our life as a lifer as a Christian. What keeps you from doing what you know God wants you to do, especially in regard to witnessing? I have to be honest with you, in my own life, it's usually fear. I'm afraid of what the person's going to say. I'm afraid of what they're going to think about me. I'm afraid of what their reaction might be. I'm afraid of what others might think about me doing this. And oftentimes, I have to admit, I have failed in serving the Lord in not going into the hottest point of the battle and being fearless, knowing he's going to help me in that situation. But instead, I allow fear to hold me back. That's a sad thing, isn't it? And God doesn't want that for us. Just as we're talking about this word lifer, if we're going to be a good soldier, we have to have a fearlessness. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe Uriah, you know, got on the battlefield, got his orders to go in the hottest part of the battle, and in a a cocky, arrogant way said, oh, man, I'm Uriah. I'm going to go to the hottest part of the battle. I'm going to take them on. That's what I'm going to do. I don't think that's the kind of fearlessness. I think Uriah recognized in his heart that he was going to be in a very dangerous place, and yet he recognized, I'm a good soldier. I'm going to go. I'm a good soldier. I'm going to do it. I'm a little afraid about it, but I'm going to do it because that's what I've been trained for, equipped for, and that's the mission I need to accomplish. And we as Christians need to be that way. We need to have a fearlessness, not a cocky arrogancy type, but a fearlessness of saying, Lord, I don't really necessarily want to do this. I'm, I'm really kind of fearful about doing this. But you know something? I'm a good soldier. And if you want me to do it, I will do it. I will face the enemy rather than flee from the enemy. Now think about that. When's the last time the Lord gave you an opportunity to witness for him? Did you face the enemy or did you flee from the enemy? When's the last time the Lord opened a door of opportunity for you to make a stand with him? There were some people that were doing some wrong things or they were talking the wrong way. And you could have said something that would have defused it or at least brought attention to the Lord and taken it away from where they were focusing their attention. And you didn't do it because you were afraid. You were afraid. When's the last time you knew there was something you really needed to do, but you just were afraid and didn't follow through and didn't do it? If you're a lifer for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must work 
at developing that letter F and having a fearlessness and be solid in your service for the Lord. Facing the enemy with the Lord giving you help and grace, not fleeing from the enemy. There's one thing you notice about fleeing from the enemy, especially if you've ever been in the military. They follow you. <laughs> they follow you. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of fleeing and facing the enemy. And it's not in regard to Vietnam or not regarding war, but it's in regard to dogs. Uh, I don't do well with dogs. I was bitten by a great Dane when I was younger, and I just don't do well with dogs at all. And when we were down at Victory Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, there were three or four little dogs. They were mongrel-type little dogs that were loose on the church property. And uh, I was walking from the church to the parsonage. It was at the end of the road. Church was the front of the road. Parsonage was the end of the road. And I was walking. The school was in between. And I was walking. And these three or four dogs came at me. They were yapping and barking and baring their teeth. And they came at me. And I panicked, folks. I was fearful. If you would hear the recording of it, you would laugh. I pulled out my cell phone. I called the police or dog things or whatever. I got a phone number somehow. And I, I think it was something I got connected with the dog thing. And I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm screaming. I'm screaming. I'm being attacked by these dogs. Somebody's got to come. They're on our school property. I'm afraid what they're going to do to our kids and, and whatever. And they said, they said the dumbest thing. They said, well, do you have the dogs um, in a confined area so we can get them? I said, are you kidding me? They're, they're yapping. They're coming at me. I mean, they were bouncing up and all around me and whatever. And they knew I was fearful. And because I was fearful, man, they were having a fun time. So finally, the dog catcher comes out. And, and I, by that time, they were around the back of a fence near the side of the building. And, the, and they're back there and they're just waiting, you know, and I'm back here hiding. And the dog catcher comes out. I say, here, they're out here. They're out here. And the dog catcher, he walks up and he goes, oh, okay. And he goes, hey, little guys, come on here. How y'all doing? Okay. Those stinkers ran over to him, started licking his hands and whatever. And he picked them up one by one and put them in the truck and took them away. You know, you know why the enemy, those dogs, those dogs were my enemy. I'm telling you, I had nightmares about that. Do you know why the enemy came at me like that? Because I wasn't fearless. I wasn't fearless. I was fearful. And as a result, they thought, ooh, let's have some fun, Brent. <laughs> this guy is going down. You know, that's exactly what Satan does with us, too. He, if we're fearful, oh, he'll have a heyday with us. He will just mess us up real good and make us feel very foolish and oftentimes very guilty. But we need to be fearless. That's part of being a lifer. We have loyalty. That's great. We have integrity. That's great. And we have a fearlessness knowing that we should be facing the enemy by God's grace and strength and not fleeing from the enemy. Notice the next letter. That would be E. And I believe you'll see this in Uriah's life very clearly. Uh, this E stands to, for me as enthusiasm or spirit. Enthusiasm or spirit. I choose to give my best at all times. Listen carefully now. I choose to give my best at all times, even when the odds are clearly against me. Do we see that in Uriah's life? Notice again verse 11. Verse 11, the end of the verse says, Shall I then go into my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul livest? Listen to this enthusiasm. I will not do this thing. He had spirit, enthusiasm. 
This is the second night you tried to get me to do it, and I'm not going to do it. My men are in the field. I'm not going to take pleasures at home. Then David came up with his, his letter. But you'll notice also in verse 15 this. And, and David knew this about Uriah. He knew Uriah had enthusiasm. He knew Uriah had a spirit. And, there, and David's plan is, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. He knew Uriah's enthusiasm and spirit would keep Uriah in the battle, no matter what was happening around him. Uriah was willing to give his best, even when the odds, valiant men, were against him. Even, as we'll see in this next point, when everyone else withdrew, he stayed true. Here's our next point. And, and, and let me ask you this before we leave that one. What is it again? Enthusiasm. And let's ask ourselves the question as we talked about some this morning. Do we as Christians have enthusiasm for the Lord? As lifers, are we enthusiastic? I'll be honest with you. I covered it a little bit this morning, Pastor. But it's, it's so true today. You know, uh, who are you? I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm hanging on till the end. I'm just listening for the sound of the trump. I don't know. I hope it's close. What kind of enthusiasm is that? You know, no, I'm a Christian. I'm here to serve the Lord. And as long as I draw breath, I can serve the Lord. I'm going to stay consistent and faithful and do my best for him, even when the odds are what? Against me. That's the characteristic of a lifer. Notice this now. The last point, and that is an R. That's resolve. L-I-F-E-R. And the word resolve or stability. What does this mean? I choose to not be moved in performing my reasonable service. I choose to not be moved in performing my reasonable service. Verse 17 says this, And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. But let's paint a picture here, folks. If I'm in a situation where I've got, I've got, I'm going to use Pastor and Pam here, okay? And, I, and I've got Pastor and Pam here, and, and we're up here fighting the valiant men. We're holding our own. I'm Uriah. We got, we got uh, well, we'll just go Pastor and Pam. I won't give you any military terms there. Are you ready? And we're going like this. Ready? We're fighting, and it's hot, and it's heavy. We're doing our best. And all of a sudden, Pam withdraws. Remember it said, when you're in the point of the hottest battle, let the men withdraw from him. So Pam withdraws. Okay. Okay, pastor's still here. Okay, all of a sudden, pastor gets the word. He withdraws. Okay, now what am I going to do? I'm going to say, obviously I didn't get the word, right? (laughs) I mean, come on, guys. I'm not going to stay out here by myself. I mean, look at what's happening. I'm alone here. Obviously, Pam was told to retreat, and obviously, Pastor was told to retreat. I just didn't get the message. But you know, Uriah was a man of such character. 
that he had resolve and he stood there as the battle intensified, as his defenders with him decreased. He stood there and fought to the bitter end saying, I've not received orders to withdraw and I refuse to withdraw. I'm resolved to fight to the very end. And he died. And he died. Boy, can you imagine if we had a church full of people with that kind of resolve? Ah, wouldn't that be great if we had a Christian community around our country with that kind of resolve? If we just had that kind of resolve that says, you know what, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Listen now carefully. I don't care about those who desert. I don't care about those who go behind. I don't care what their orders are. I know where the Lord has placed me, and I'm resolved to be in this place, even if it costs me my what? My life. Now, not many people especially in America, have to give their life for serving the Lord. Our resolve isn't whether we're going to die tomorrow if we tell someone we're a Christian. I think what we're more concerned about is losing our reputation or losing favor about people who we really shouldn't be worried about that anyway. Because what we should have is a resolve to say, I am serving the Lord. I'm in the hottest place of the battle. I don't care who retreats. I'm going to stand there and do what God wants me to do. That is the idea of a lifer. I love that, don't you? And when we summarize this tonight, we just go back and we think about this idea, the outline, and we have to ask ourselves these questions. Ready? Am I choosing to be loyal to my Savior and His church? Number two, am I choosing to be a man or woman of integrity in giving and keeping my word? Number three, am I choosing to be fearless in the face of opposition? Number four, am I choosing to be enthusiastic and giving my best at all times? And number five, am I choosing to be, uh, to be resolved and unmovable in the decisions that I have made? Am I willing to be a lifer for the Lord Jesus Christ? One more thing and we'll be done. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have a genealogy. And in genealogies, you remember Jewish genealogies, again, Matthew is written to the Jewish community. In Jewish genealogies, it was always centered on the men, not the women. But in this Jewish genealogy, God in his grace reveals to us five women in this passage of scripture. Five women in the genealogy of Jesus. They all didn't have blameless reputations. You take a look, for example, at verse 3. You've got Thamar. Thamar was the one that played the harlot and got pregnant by her father-in-law. You'll take a look at verse 5, and you'll see Rahab. She was a harlot. You'll take a look at verse 5, and you'll see Ruth. She was a converted Moabite. And then you take a look at verse 6, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of Bathsheba. True or false? Did I read that correctly? False. What did God say? He said that David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Why did God say that? Because God admired his servant Uriah, who was a good soldier, who was a lifer, 
who understood loyalty and understood integrity, and he understood, um, he, he, excuse me, I make sure I don't get myself tongue-tied here, but he understood the idea of loyalty and integrity and fearlessness, enthusiasm and resolve. And when he comes to giving credit to this woman, Bathsheba, who had been in the genealogy of Jesus, he refers to her not as Bathsheba, but he points us back to that faithful, dedicated lifer, Uriah, and says to us, let's join him in being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encouragement tonight by this challenge in the New Testament about being a good soldier, and then this wonderful example of a good soldier by the name of Uriah. Help us, Father, to examine our lives be encouraged and be strengthened where we need to be, that we might be known as good soldiers of Jesus Christ today. In his name we pray, amen.